Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll look at several accounts of the birth of Jesus. So this was the prophetic statement that God gave through the prophet Isaiah about the birth of Jesus. We've been looking at the scriptures in Luke 2 about when the angels pronounced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. But I'm going to add to that tonight. So we're going to go to Isaiah 9. We're talking about why Jesus came, our salvation story. Why did he come? For you to have a salvation story. For you to have a story about the very salvation that he offers. Now remember in Luke 2, they proclaimed that this Savior would come, which is Christ the Lord. The Messiah or the Deliverer, the Lord. Now here in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at two verses, 6 and 7. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. We're just talking about some things that relate to the fact of what Scripture revealed about this Jesus being born, this Son of God, this child of God that was brought to us for for specific reasons. And here it defines him pretty more uh, in detail compared to what we saw in Luke chapter 2. It gives even further understanding and definition of him. So Luke 2, he's our Savior. He is Christ the Messiah, our Deliverer, the Lord. Here in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6, if you're there, say amen. amen. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now we know, now most Bibles, of course, would already point this out by capitalizing the word child and son, because it is referring to Jesus, not just any child. Notice this, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Meaning what? The government of God, the kingdom of God. That's referring to the aspect of the kingdom that he would bring. When Jesus came, what did he say over and over and over again? The kingdom of God is at hand. That is the ultimate governing authority is the kingdom of God. So this government would be upon his shoulder. In other words, he would bring it with him. He would bring it into the earth again. And his name shall be called. I love this. You ready? Say him after me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Counselor, Counselor. Mighty God, God. Everlasting Father, Father. Prince of Peace. What is God? He's wonderful. Some actually say the Hebrew here says wonderful counselor. So I'm not going to disagree with that. Either way, it's a good truth of understanding that he is so wonderful to be here to counsel us and to help us and to direct us and guide and lead our life. He is the mighty God. Say mighty God. God. So he's not a weak God. He is the ultimate El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough, and he is a mighty God. Why does it call him the everlasting father? Because he's the way. He's the way to the father. You can't come to the father apart from him. He's not the father. But obviously he's going to bring us back to the father. And he's also known as the prince of what? The prince of peace, or in other words, the ultimate peace giver. The ultimate peace giver. Because what is this peace? It is not quote unquote ecumenical peace. Oh no. He said in the context of his own words in the gospel, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Now wait a minute. Why does it say this? And it says he's the prince of peace. Different kind of peace. When he was talking about I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, he was talking about in the natural. 
that he was going to clearly see, obviously, people come against him. You know, think about this. If Jesus lived, uh, quote, unquote, life following after God, only doing what God wanted him to do, only saying what God wanted him to say, how I many know oh, that's our model, our example? How I many that's a good way to live? Yes. So if you live that way, I have a question for you. Did everybody like Jesus? No. Did he have people that came against him? Yes. So we shouldn't be, quote unquote, thinking that living the Christian life means everybody's going to love us and like us and, you know, want to be around us. Not everybody. Those who love darkness rather than the light are obviously not going to be real happy with you, but God will. So Prince of Peace, of course, you know, is talking about inward, that we will once again have peace with God. That we would be back in a position of what? Harmony with God. Verse 7. Of the increase. Now listen to this. Of the increase of his government and peace that will be what? Now how, how is that established, Pastor? Increase of his government? How, uh, how would his kingdom, in other words, increase? How would his peace increase? Because every time somebody receives Jesus, guess what happened? The kingdom just increased. The peace of God just increased. And of that kingdom and peace, there would be no end. There would be constant increase of that in and through his life and through us as well. Amen? So there would be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Say, my Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace has come to me. In Jesus' name he has. Praise God. Aren't you glad about that? Turn back to Genesis now. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. So in realizing why Jesus came, we just go back and find out from Genesis what happened to cause Jesus to need to come into the earth. Clearly, if, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have done what they did, Jesus would have never had to come. He would have never had to die in our place. He would have never had to bear our sin. There would have been no sin to bear. There'd have been no sin, no punishment of sin to bear. So obviously through the aspect of what we see of the creation of man and then the fall of man, we understand why Jesus came. And in Genesis, I've taught you this many times. <clears throat> Has God's plan changed because of the fall of what he wants to do with mankind? No has never changed. What God established as an initial plan has never changed. God doesn't go by plan A and plan B. I've actually heard people say, well, you know, God's plan A failed, so God had a plan B. Let me help you. The Bible says Jesus was even recognized as crucified, you ready, before the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever created. God's plan is being executed exactly the way he knew it would be. That doesn't mean that we may all be doing what we should be. But I'm just telling you, his plan will be fulfilled. Amen? And in relationship to that plan, God never changed his mind in relationship to mankind, to me and you. Never has. Even because of the fall. Jesus made a... a here's the key. Jesus is the one that at least made it possible for us to get back to... God's plan and what God intended for our life. So here in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to go to verse 26 tonight. We're going to focus on just these verses of verses 26 through 28 tonight. In verse 26, God said, let us, what do you mean us? Who us? God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our what? Our image. So this is what we focused on on Sunday night. We understood and Sunday morning. The first thing we're going to, let me just, well, let's read the verses, then I'll refresh your memory. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Underline this tonight, please. Let them have dominion. 
Let them have dominion. Dominion over what? Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now notice that. Now in relationship to that, if you want to put a little note there, remember Psalm, uh, Psalm 8. Remember Psalm 8, God gave man dominion over the work of his hands. Well, here's the context of the having dominion over the work of his hands. Who made the fish? God did. Who made the sea? God did. How about the birds? How about the cattle? How about all the earth and all that's on the earth that creeps? God made it. So what did he do? He gave man dominion. He said, let them have dominion over all these things in the earth. 27, notice man's not included there. You don't have dominion over man. Got dominion over yourself. But you, you don't have dominion over another human, another human spirit. Now, wait a minute. Is your body from the ground? Yes. You have dominion over your body. Sure do. Your body's formed of the dust of the ground. You have dominion over it. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image again. And also in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 28. Then God did what? God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and do what? Subdue it, underline it, have dominion. Have dominion over what? Fish of the sea, birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Talking about those things, of course, relating back to the previous verse 26 that he created. So we've already talked about this in relationship to a couple things that what Jesus did when he came to the earth, why he came. Number one, as we found out when God breathed into man the breath of life, what went into man? His spirit and God's spirit. So he had total, complete union with God's spirit. He was one spirit with God, completely one spirit with God. But when he actually then committed sin, what happened? The Bible says he died. What's it referring to in relationship to death? God's presence left him. What did Jesus do in relationship to him coming to this earth and dying in our place? He gave us the right to have God's presence back. God's presence was taken from man. The very first thing significant to what Jesus did when you got born again, what did he give back to you? The presence of God. The presence of God. So we've talked about that already as the first thing last Wednesday night of why Jesus came. Say, I'm grateful. Say, I'm grateful. He allowed his presence to come back in me. So Jesus first and foremost gave us the right to be able to have the presence of God come live within us. Now, the other thing we talked about in these verses on Sunday morning and Sunday night is in verse 26 and 27, he references here three times to making us in his image. Image. What's he referring to? Identity. That we find our identity in who? The creator, not the creation. So the second thing Jesus did, because when man sinned, could man look upon God's face any longer? He could not. We've gone over all that in these verses. Where did man find his identity? Face of God. As he looked to God and literally saw God's face when God breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and he sees God's face, what's he doing? He's getting his identity from his creator. Made in his image and in his likeness. But what happened in the fall? Well, very clearly, he had to hide himself, Genesis chapter 3. The word says presence, but the word in the Hebrew is the face of God. He had to hide himself from the face of God. Couldn't see God's face. Now, how do we know that's true? Because on Mount Sinai, literally Moses wanted to see it, right? I want to see your glory. I want to see you for who you really are. Really, in essence, Moses is saying, I want to regain my full identity. And what did God say? Can't see my face and live. No man can. 
Because of sin, you would not be able to survive as a sinner if you obviously saw God for the fullness of who he is. But then in the book of Hebrews, somebody give me an amen on this. Jesus went after he shed his blood. Jesus went in the Holy of Holies in the presence of God it says for us but it actually states in the Greek there same word in the Hebrew it says before the face of God on our behalf why did he go before the face of God so we can now once again regain our true not just our identity our true identity right so number two this is so critical and these are powerful and really in a good proper order one we got God's presence back Two, I also got what? I got the, my, the ability to get my true identity back. Why? Because I can once again see the face of God. How do I see the face of God, church? How do I see the face of God? Through Jesus. I got to see Jesus through the word. But how do I see Jesus through the word to see the face of God? The four redemptive truths that reveal what he did. For us to fully regain our value and worth back from God. Let's go through them real quick. All right? Just really quick. One, justification. What does justification mean? I have already been approved by God. I don't have to prove myself to God. Because of justification, I have the gift of righteousness. And therefore, I've already got God's approval. Amen? That doesn't mean everybody born again is doing things God approves of. But as a spirit being, God has already given you approval because you're right with him because your spirit's made right with God. Amen? Amen? So number one, I don't have to perform to get my value and worth from God. Working as a creation to try to get a value and identity. Nope, I get it from the creator by looking back to what he did in me. Two, he also gave me what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation means a restored relationship with the father that was broken. So guess what? I couldn't have that without having what? God's acceptance. I have God's approval, justification. And because I have God's approval through justification, as I've been reconciled to God, I now have what? I have his, he's accepted me. He's accepted me into relationship with him. And so because of that acceptance, guess what I don't need? I don't need yours. I don't have to have your acceptance or your like on Facebook or your endorsement of what I do or don't do or whether you like me or you don't like me to feel good about myself. Nope. My identity is from my acceptance in God and I've already got it. By looking at these things, what are you looking at? The face of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, who are you seeing? You're seeing the Father. So this leads us then into the third thing, which is the work of propitiation. Because I've been justified, because I've been reconciled, guess what else I've been? I've been dealt with in relationship to the wrath of God, propitiation. Because of the fact I already have right standing with God and accepted by him, even if I do wrong, is God going to punish me? No, he won't. And the devil wants to make you think that he will. So a lot of Christians even beat themselves up. I've talked about this many times. We've talked about when you sin, you not only got to obviously acknowledge it to God to get it off of your conscience, get your conscience clear from that. Your spirit didn't change because you sinned, but you get your conscience cleared from what you've done. But not only do you need to forgive, obviously, in relationship to what's happened, ask God for his forgiveness. You got to do what? Forgive yourself because God's not going to punish you, right? First John 1 and 2. Remember what chapter 2 says, as you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 2, remember you have an advocate, a go-between, who is the propitiation for our sins and even the whole world's. Meaning what? He's the very one who bore the punishment that our sins deserved, right? Yes, no, maybe. 
So thank God I don't even have to beat myself up over mistakes I've made, things I've done wrong, and therefore fall back into a false identity based on what I do or don't do. Nope, Jesus is not going to, God's not going to punish me. If I live in the flesh, am I going to get bad results? Yes. yes, you will. Is God punishing me? No. Nope, you're reaping what you've sown. Right. Amen. And then the final one, which is what? Regeneration, meaning what? You don't ever look at yourself and say, well, that's the way I've always been. Well, that's the way you've always been. Well, you just can't change. Well, I just can't change. Well, this is just the way I am. If that has anything to do with your flesh, that's not true because that's not the real you. Regeneration means you've been what? Made a new creation. You can change anything about your life. Can I get a better amen? You can go through transformation from the inside out. And be totally transformed into the image and the likeness of that new person on the inside. Praise the Lord. Number three, anybody figured out what the third one is yet? No? Verse 26, let them have dominion. Verse 28, as he made man, he told him to go subdue the earth and have what? Write this down. Number three, we got our authority back. We got our authority back. Now, dominion is a little different word than authority, but it's because it's more inclusive in relationship to how that authority is exercised. Authority just means delegated power. Dominion means how you use it. Dominion is how you use it. You take dominion. How do you take dominion? Can't do that without delegated power. Right? Authority is delegated power. The reason he said go have dominion, he obviously wouldn't say that had he not delegated him the, the authority to do that, praise God. So if you want the definition, here it is. This is cool. Far, far more than just what the word authority tells us. Dominion here means to tread down, to prevail against, to dominate, and to reign. What he said was, I want you to have dominion. What did he say? You're going to tread down prevail against, dominate, and reign. What are you going to do? You're going to have the ability to tread down, prevail against, dominate, and to reign. Over all the earth and all the things in the earth, and even the little creeps that would come to the earth, which would not be people, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of darkness of the world. So we know clearly that we have uh, God, excuse me, let me back up. God gave man that ability before the fall. But what happened after man sinned? Did he lose that actual authority? Let's find out. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I want you to work hard at keeping up with me tonight. I'm not going to go through a ton of verses, but I'm going to go through a few more than I normally would. In relationship to a normal night, I'm only going to try to stick to three or four verses. But to do this properly, I really need to show you. And there's far more than what I'm going to get into tonight to show you this. So God gave man dominion, the ability to do what? To tread down, prevail against, to dominate, and to rule. And in the New Testament, we basically call that authority. What are we supposed to do with that authority? We're supposed to tread down, prevail against, dominate, and reign in this earth. And that's what the whole aspect of what man was here to do. Again, having dominion over the work of his hands, meaning what God had created. What God had put into existence again, Psalm 8, God gave us the ability to have the uh, dominion over the work of his hands, what he put here. In Luke chapter 4, if you think about that again, so that means all that was on the earth at the time was, to, was in fact not to be, was subject to man. Man was not subject to those things. They were all subject to him. There was nothing on the planet 
that was not subject to him. Other than when God was here, of course, but I'm just saying that what was on the earth, it was all subjected to him. That's the way God set it up. Luke chapter 4, did Adam actually lose, in relationship to committing sin, did he actually lose that authority that was originally given to him? Yes, he did. And I'm going to show you this, and it's going to be revealed, if, if you, if, believe it or not, in the time of temptation in the wilderness. When Jesus was in this time of temptation in the wilderness, you're going to find out clearly that when Adam sinned, he relinquished that actual position of dominion over to Satan. I mean, number one, it's not hard to figure out. Was any sickness or disease on the earth before then? Any evil? Nope. Any suffering? Any fear? Torment? None of that, right? Stress? Worry? Nope, none of that. So we clearly know that Adam, uh, when he sinned, had to have given the ability for Satan to have some domination on the earth or none of this would have ever been allowed in the earth. Luke chapter 4 verse 1, you with me? Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil and in those days he ate nothing. Afterward when they had ended, he was hungry. How many think he would be after 40 days? Eat nothing. Verse 2, and the devil said to him, say the devil said. Now I'm going to remind you, you can argue if you want, study it for yourself, proven fact. How did the devil tempt him? He wasn't actually physically there with him because clearly how does he tempt us? Through thoughts. Through thoughts. How did he tempt Jesus? Through thoughts. Same way. He himself was not tempted any different than me or you. Bible says he was tempted in all things, common to man, but thank God he did not give in to sin and he can help us overcome such temptations because he's in the wilderness. He doesn't take him from there up to the top of the temple. No, he's in, he's, he's in the wilderness the whole time. He does it by thoughts through what he says. So verse four, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, did the devil know that he was? Can I help you something? If Satan... <laughs> Knowing, come on, knowing this is the Son of God, clearly, no doubt, he saw him in heaven. He knows this is the Son of God, and he's going to try to get him to question who he is. You know what the devil's going to try to do with you all the time? He's going to try to get you to question who you are. You want to know why? So you don't walk in your rightful dominion and authority. If you don't know who you are as a child of God, he's already got advantage against you. If you're really this son or daughter of God, if you really have this authority and dominion you think you have, well, clearly if he's going to question Jesus about that, trying to get Jesus to give in to the temptation, what about you? The devil challenges people all the time in relationship to who they are as a child of God. Again, if you're the son of God, in this case, do what? Command this stone to become bread. After having not eaten for 40 days, that would be a tempting thing to do. Verse 4, but Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Now he's even referring to himself. Because at this time he is in a position on the earth as the son of God walking on the earth as a man. So man's not going to live by uh, bread alone, physical food alone, but by what? Every word. If you want to truly live, you're not going to do it without the word of God. Without the word of God, you're not going to experience the kind of life God really has for you. Because that word is life to those who find it, Proverbs 4, and hell to all their flesh. Verse 5, the devil then taking him up on a high mountain. So he didn't take him from the quote-unquote wilderness up to a high mountain to show him all this stuff. Nope, he's still there in the wilderness. He showed him all the kingdoms, kingdoms, kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All of what was established now 
of what actually were different aspects of governing forms of kingdoms in the earth, authority in the earth, and he showed him this all in a moment of time. Verse 6, the devil said to him, all this authority, underline it, all this authority I will give you and their glory. Now, see, a lot of people right there would say, well, he, would, he never had that authority because he's a liar. Satan always mixes truths with lies. He's always done it. He'll always mix a little truth in with a lie. So he says here, all this authority I will give you. Here's the lie. He wouldn't have given it to him. But you're going to see clearly, if he didn't have this authority, what would Jesus have said? This isn't even a temptation. You don't have any such authority to tempt me with. What's he tempting with? Authority. How can you tempt somebody with something you don't have? You can't. But he does have this authority. And you're going to see Jesus doesn't even recognize or deal with the fact that that wouldn't be true. He doesn't even say that's not even true, Satan. So what are you trying to tempt me with that for? No, he, got, he had this authority because of the fall of, of man. But guess what he was not going to do? He wasn't going to give it to Jesus. What do you think people fight wars over? Two reasons, money and power. And what the devil does, he convinces them that if they'll kill off enough people or get rid of these people or get rid of these people or do this or do that, they'll have dominion and authority and power over all of what they want on the earth. Is that ever true? No. Nope. They'll never have full dominion and authority. It's a lie, and it'll lead them to continue to do the things they shouldn't do. So again, notice this. He takes him up on this mountain in a vision, and the devil says to him, all this authority I will give you, verse 6, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. Underline it. This has been delivered to me. Who handed it over to him? Adam did. And I give it to whomever I wish, but he certainly ain't going to give it away. That's a lie. Verse 7, therefore, if you will what? Worship before me. Bow down before me, yield to me, all will be yours. Now again, if he didn't have this authority, if this dominion had not been given to him, don't you think Jesus would have clearly said, this is ridiculous. You don't even have such authority, but he didn't. He responds, therefore, in verse 8 and said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. What was the key that he said, I would give you this authority if you did something for me for? What was the key? Worship me. What did Jesus respond with? Jesus didn't respond with, you don't have this authority. He said, I ain't going to worship you. Meaning what? I am not going to get this authority back by worshiping you. Not going to do it. First of all, understand this. Did Jesus come to earth with God-given authority? Yes, he did. Because how else could he have done miracles? How else could he have healed? How else could he have cast out demons if he didn't have authority? What Jesus is going to do in dying in our place on this earth, being raised from the dead, and then coming back, obviously, in relationship to what we know is the resurrection and ascension to heaven. By Jesus doing this, guess what he's going to do? He's going to get what was given to Adam back. Jesus never lost authority. You listening? He is the Son of God. He has never sinned. He comes down with, from heaven with what? All authority. He's got all authority of heaven to do what he does because even when his disciples were still with him, he even allowed them to utilize that authority and go out and use it so they could understand how it works. You listening? But guess what Adam lost? He lost the authority given to him. Guess what Jesus is going to do? He's going to get what God gave to Adam 
God's man. He's going to get it back so we can now what? Have that dominion back. Jesus didn't need it. Jesus did. If Jesus would have needed it, he couldn't have ever done what he did against demonic powers while he was here. He didn't need it. I said he didn't need it. Who needed it? We did. We needed it. But we're the ones. Man's the one that lost it, not Jesus. But thank God he came and got it back. I said, thank God he came and got it back. So we're going to see that. So here clearly in verse 6, all this authority I will give you and their glory for it's been what? Delivered to me. So when Adam sinned, guess what happened? That authority, that dominion that was in this earth, it's by a form of spiritual law. God put it here. God couldn't take it back. God put it here for the purpose intended of ruling this earth. And when Adam sinned, guess what? Satan began to become the ruler of this world. Why does the Bible say in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he is called the God of this world? In the sense of the one who oversees or rules in relationship to now what we know is a fallen world system and all that's affected by that. Well, how did that all happen? That wouldn't have happened had he had not had dominion. He had to have dominion or authority to do so. So it's not, quote, unquote, God giving him dominion. God gave dominion and authority over what? The earth to Adam. Guess what Adam did when he sinned? Here you go, Satan. You now have dominion and authority. And that's very clear in these verses, or he couldn't have tempted Jesus with it. But Jesus did something about that. I said, Jesus did something about that. Go to Colossians 2. Again, why did he do that? For me and you. For mankind. Without, uh, you're going to find out, like we've talked about many, many times, what is keeping the Antichrist in the earth from rising to full power? The church that knows their authority. The church that's using it. There are people, not everybody born again sadly does, but there are people in the earth that are born again that do pray, that do use their authority, that do come against the forces of darkness across the planet where they live in other parts of the world, and that's what's keeping him from rising to power. When the Bible says in Thessalonians, talking to the church at Thessalonica, Paul said, you know what's holding him back. Now, he doesn't tell us, but he says, you know what it is because I've told you before. Now, for years, you know what people taught in the church. It's the Holy Spirit that's holding them back. Wait a minute. There's people going to be born again during the tribulation period. So how in the world are you going to get born again without the Holy Spirit here to breathe on you the breath of life and come to live in you? You couldn't. Couldn't do it. And even during that time, there's going to be miracles, signs, and wonders that are going to happen. Couldn't do that if the Holy Spirit wasn't here. The Holy Spirit wasn't given the right to exercise dominion and authority on the earth. Man was. Man was. So the Holy Spirit's not going to leave the earth. He's going to be here doing the work. Aren't you glad? What's holding back the Antichrist? Those who at least know their authority and use it. Now, sadly, that's not the whole of the church, but there are those in the church that know how to use it and do so, and they're the ones that are serious about prayer. They're the ones that are serious about exercising that authority over their home, their family, their place where they live in their town, their community. Am I going to get any good amens tonight? The true church realizes, I wasn't given authority for me to just go around and get whatever I want. I was given authority to establish the kingdom. I was given authority to be able to do the work of God in the earth and to accomplish what God wants done in the earth. But that includes, of course, dealing with those things that come against my life. Colossians 2. Am I going to get any good amens tonight? Colossians 2.11. We need to be reminded of these things because we should be using that authority. 
Colossians 2.11, in him, in Jesus, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In other words, it was a cutting away of that old man in your spirit and a new spirit put within you. So there was a cutting away without hands by the context of that old man dying by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh through the circumcision of Christ. Meaning once your your spirit man changed, you can now change in how you live outwardly. You were buried with him in baptism in which you were also what? Raised with him. Say, I was raised with him. Through faith, you were raised with him in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I'm not going to go there tonight, but you were raised with him to be seated in heavenly places, the place of authority. Verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses, this is before you were born again, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, underline it please, he has made alive together with him. With him. He has made us alive together, what? With him. How? Having forgiven you all trespasses. Having forgiven you all trespasses. 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What was the handwriting of requirements? You could not fulfill the law because as a sinner, you'd already sinned. Guess what Jesus came to do? Fulfill the law. I said he came to fulfill the law. The requirement by God was somebody's got to fulfill the law in walking on this planet and therefore not just bearing the sins of the people, but more importantly, the punishment their sins deserve. The law requires it. If in a just system, you have somebody who has violated the law, in a just system, if that is actually a true just system that you're dealing with wherever on the planet, for it to be proper justice and right in the sight even of God, there has to be what? Punishment for wrongdoing. Correct? For the fulfillment of law, there had to be punishment for man's wrongdoing. You and I couldn't fulfill that. Why? We'd already done the wrong. There was nothing we could do to make ourselves right with God because we were already wrong with God. So what did Jesus do? He came and fulfilled the law. When we talk about Jesus fulfilling the law, what does that really mean? He took our punishment. He fulfilled what was needed of a justice system. God's a just God. Somebody has to pay the penalty. You listening? Fulfillment of the law doesn't mean coming and upholding all the Old Testament law that God gave them. He didn't violate any of that. But I'm just telling you, that's not what it's referring to. The fulfillment of the law means the law required. In a just system, what is the law required? You did wrong, you got to pay for it. There's got to be a punishment. Correct? If somebody murders somebody and you're in a just system, guess what that just system requires? Punishment. You don't let them go. Not in a just system. I understand we got some people get away with stuff in a sense of what we think in the natural. Let me help you. They ain't going to get away with it. There's coming an ultimate judgment. You listening? But understand fulfillment of the law means what? He bore our punishment. He took what was necessary for a just God who cannot let us off the hook. God couldn't just say, well, come on, man. I know Adam really didn't mean to sin. No problem. I can still live with you even though you're sinful and I'm not. Even though you're unholy and I'm not. No. If you got in the presence of God again and in front of the face of God, who's a holy God, as an unjust, unholy person, guess what would have happened? You'd basically probably become a crispy critter. There'd have been nothing left of you. God's glory is so incredible, so immaculate, so unbelievable. You can't, the the sin can't live in the presence of God. Isn't it great to know that you're going to spend all eternity with a God in which sin's not even going to be an issue? 
Not even going to be a thought. There's no such thing around him. Can I get a better amen? Well, that's because he's what? He's a just God. And because he's a just God, he could not allow what Adam did in sinning to not allow that to not be punished. If he didn't punish it, guess what he's not? He's not who he says he is. He's not a God of justice, but he is. But guess who took the punishment? Come on, church. Jesus did. So he fulfilled the law. Say he fulfilled the law. So notice that's what this is referring to in verse 14. Having wiped out Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against me and you, listen, which was contrary to us, notice he has taken it out of the way and nailed it to what? The cross, where he was punished. He took care of it by being nailed to the cross and bore our punishment. Somebody please give me a good amen. What else did he do? Verse 15, having disarmed principalities, and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. Amen. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in what? In the cross. What, what Satan really thought was a victory was his defeat. Think about that. I'm going to wait till you catch up with that thought. What Satan thought was his ultimate victory really was his ultimate defeat. He thought he won. When he crucified Jesus, he thought he won. But three days later, he found out he lost. Come on, somebody. Let me remind you of something. Just because you feel like sometimes in your life you're standing by faith that you haven't won, you have. Just because it happened, hasn't happened today, guess what? You've already won. Don't let Satan convince you that you haven't. If you stand and keep on standing, guess what's going to happen? He's going to find out you did not lose either. You've already won. If Christians would realize that. So what did he do? What did Jesus do? So we saw in Luke clearly, in the book of Luke chapter 4, we saw that Satan clearly got that dominion and authority, right? Because yes. he offered it as a, as a deceptive lie to Jesus in relationship to giving it to him, which he wouldn't have. But what did Jesus do on the cross? He disarmed principalities and powers, and in doing so, made a public spectacle of them over them in it. Now, I want to read this from the voice translation, which is a translation. It is not a paraphrase when I give you this translation. This is not a, quote-unquote, modern-day takeaway from the Bible translation. It's actually a pretty good translation. He disarmed those who once ruled over us. This is the phrase right here. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Well, these principalities and powers, guess what they did before Jesus came back and got our authority back? They ruled over man. They ruled. There wasn't a single person on the planet that took authority over a demon until Jesus came. You listening? And therefore, guess what Satan had given to him by Adam? The right to rule. What's dominion? To rule. To be able to rule over. What did Jesus do? He disarmed those who ruled over us. I said he disarmed those who ruled over us. I said he disarmed those who ruled over us. Meaning what? They don't rule over us anymore. Not, not unless you let them. The only way Satan can rule over you today is through deception. He's got to deceive you. Or keep you ignorant of what you actually now have as a child of God. So he disarmed those. He's not going to. He disarmed those who once ruled over us. That wasn't for him. That was for us. Notice this. Those who had overpowered us. 
Those who had overpowered us. Before you got born again, you had no ability to drive away demons. You had no ability to keep demonic powers from ruling over you. You didn't have the right. You didn't have the authority. You didn't have the dominion. Are you listening? But now you do. I said, now you do. He disarmed those who once ruled over us, those who overpowered us, like captives of war, us. He put them on display to the world to show his victory over them by means of the cross. He, he disarmed them for us, and they, like captives of war, were put on display to prove you no longer have this dominion that I once gave man. Man now has it back. I'd like some better amens than that. Say he disarmed the powers of darkness. Meaning what? He stripped them of their authority. The book of Revelation chapter 1, I believe it's verse 7 says, He took back the keys of hell and the grave. He took back the keys. Keys represent authority. When he went into the center of the earth, guess what he did when he came back up the third day? He took back the key. There was a powerful, I loved it. It was one of my favorite songs. Aaron and, and what was his? Aaron Jeffries. His, his son, Jeff, him and his son, man, sang together. Great, great, great uh, uh, duo back in the 80s, man. They had a song called The Keys, Please. Go look it up. It's a cool song, man. Talks about when Jesus came back from the dead, when he came up from out of the earth before he left up from out of the center of the earth. Guess what he told Satan? I'll take the keys, please. Yes, that's right. He took back the keys of hell and death. He got back the authority that Adam had, uh, that uh, Satan had, that Adam had lost. I said he got it back. Even Revelation tells you so. So go to Matthew 28. <clears throat> Matthew 28, this, just, this stuff should excite you. See, if these kind of messages don't stoke your fire, you, 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 your wood's a little wet. You need, some, you need to dry that wood out a little bit, get a more on fire for God. Because these kind of things, man, are what you ought to really get excited about to realize what God's done for you. Amen? Amen? I can't read them or preach about them without getting excited. They stir me up to realize this is what I now have, this is what I've got, even to be reminded of it, even though I know it. Because I guarantee you, we need to be reminded of it. Amen. Say, Jesus got the keys back. Now, I won't have time to go there tonight, but if you want to write down a separate note because of the sake of time, there's no way I could go through every verse that relates to the fact that he got this dominion back for us, but it's a good one to have. Matthew 18, 18. Matthew 18, 18, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The actual phrase there in the Greek language says it this way. What you bind on the earth will have been bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Now, Jesus had to say in relationship, because it's Jesus saying this, Jesus said to those that he was with, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Why? He hadn't died yet. He hadn't, he hadn't been raised from the dead yet. In other words, you don't have this authority yet. But when I get to heaven, I give you authority. And whatever you bind on earth, of which we now know is clearly according to heaven's rules, that you have the right to bind, will have been bound in heaven, so you can now bind it here on earth. Whatever you loose on heaven has now been according to what God's going to do through me, being raised from the dead, has been given the authority and dominion to you to be able to loose here on earth. Amen. Can I get a better amen? amen? You can deal with the forces of darkness to bind them and to cause people to be loose from them, even yourself. So in Matthew 28, because I don't have time to go through all these verses. Matthew 28, I want you to see this. This is a powerful reminder of what Jesus did. 
He has now been raised from the dead. He's already been into heaven and shed his blood in the mercy seat because he did that right after he was raised from the dead. Remember, the women couldn't touch him. But he comes back and he appears to his disciples for over 40 days. And then according to the book of Acts, he then ascends to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, which you're seated with him in a place of authority. So here he's talking to his disciples for one of the very last times he's going to speak to them. How many know these are very important words? I mean, if you knew that the person you're talking to today that you're actually with and that you care about, and this, if you knew this is going to be the last chance I'm going to get to talk to him today, how many think you're going to choose your words pretty wisely? Well, Jesus knows this. So he uses his words very wisely. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, All authority, say all authority. Watch this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and where? Now, when he came to this earth, did he have the authority of, her, of heaven? Yes, he did. He couldn't have done what he did had he not had authority of heaven when he came here. But now he also has the authority of what? Of earth. He had the authority of heaven. Guess what's been added to it? The authority that was given to man. The dominion that was given to man, I now have back. Come on, somebody. I don't just have all the authority of heaven. I have all the authority God gave man on the earth. Next word, verse 19, go. Underline, circle, highlight the word go. Now notice why he references this authority and what we're supposed to do with it. Go therefore and get everything in this life you want with that authority. That what it said? No. Go therefore and make what? Disciples. Of what? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to preach on this for about a half an hour, but I'm going to try to cut it to about five minutes. I want you to hear this. So first of all, I want to point out something significant. He's telling us to go make disciples. Every one of us. All of us as believers to be a part of what we're to do in the body of Christ. To bring people to Jesus, get them in church, and help make disciples out of them. Why? Let me, let me back up. Let me rewind the tape for a minute. So let's go back to the first word, go. This word, go, is interesting. This word, go, if you look it up, has within its definition, you ready? Transfer. Transfer. One of the definitions of the word here is transfer. It's not just to go somewhere. The actual word includes a transfer. Years ago, Brother Hagin was in a meeting. He was teaching, as he often did, on the authority of the believer. Well, if you don't have his book, you should have it. It should live in your library. He should read it consistently. But he has one of the greatest books on the authority of the believer. And as he was teaching this in an actual church where he was at, there was a gentleman that came to him in that, in that church at one point during the meetings because he would did, do meetings no less than two minimum, oftentimes three weeks. And this guy came to him one day after one of the morning sessions and he said, you know, you've been keep going back to these verses, how Jesus got all authority. And he said, go. He said, I got curious because I'm a Greek scholar. And I've never really looked at it in detail before. But in between these services, I've gone back to the actual wording in the Greek language. And he said, do you understand, Brother Hagin, the power of that word? What caught me was, why would Jesus say all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me? And then the next word, go. Why would he say, I have all authority, now you go? What good does that do you if you don't have it? You listening? What good, if, if, if I say, okay, I now have a brand new car that I can drive anywhere to go preach the gospel that, own, that I own, it's my car, but now you go, 
and preach the gospel throughout all the world, but I don't have the car you do, Pastor. But see, Jesus was saying something significant that most people read right over and don't get the meaning of. This guy got so excited and he said, I want you to understand this, Brother Hagin. He said, have you ever understood from a legal perspective of anybody in your life ever getting what's called a power of attorney? He said, yeah, oh yeah, people in a will or even in relationship to aspects of their finances. He said, even while they're alive, people oftentimes will get what's called a power of attorney. And that means, example, listen, let's say a person gives you power of attorney over a bank account they own. Who owns the money? You don't. (laughs) Who owns the money? They do. But by giving you a power of attorney, guess what they've given you the ability to do? To oversee that money they own. What do they do? I own the money, but by giving you a power of attorney, I give you the authority to go use and spend that money of mine as you see fit because I've given you power of attorney. Now realize clearly if somebody owned that money and you misuse it in a way they wouldn't want you to use it, they're not going to continue to let you use that power of attorney, right? But if they trust you with it, know you're going to use it properly, then guess what? They've given you the ability to use something that's not yours. Some of you might catch up to this after lunch. All authority has been given to who Jesus said me in heaven, which he already had, and now we're in earth. And now guess what I do? I give you power of attorney. The word go, he said, is the exact same legal word in the Greek. If you were to go into a court of law and go before an actual uh, judge to bring somebody into a court of law to actually write out a what we would call an actual statement of power of attorney to give to that judge, this word would be in there in the Greek language. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Brother Hagin, when Jesus said, I've got all authority of heaven and of earth, go, he said, and now I give you the power of attorney. It's not your authority. If it was, it wouldn't be any good. You're not God. I said, you're not God. But guess whose authority it is? Man, I pray that you would learn to get excited about messages you should get excited about. Whose authority is it? But who said, I give you the right to use the authority that's mine in this earth? Now, the reason it's important to know that it's not yours because when Adam was given that dominion, it wasn't his. It was God. It was given by God. He was allowed to use that authority, but he relinquished it to Satan. See, if it's my authority, then it's my ability that has to make it come to pass. But it's not. It's his authority. Therefore, he's the one that will bring it to pass, not me. I just have the right to use it. I've been given power of authority. Now why, moving forward, why do I need the power of attorney to have the authority of God to go make disciples? Because if you go try to make disciples in this earth for Jesus, guess what the devil's going to do? He ain't going to sit back and just say, oh, hey, no problem, man. Come on, win everybody you can to Jesus. Make a disciple out of them. No, he's going to try to come against you in some way, shape, or form. Whether he's going to try to come at your family, whether he's going to try to get you caught up with stuff in life that you want to do something else besides serve God. Come on, somebody. The devil's a tempter, and he's going to tempt you in some way so that he himself, knowing you've been given that that power. Guess what the devil knows that most Christians don't? You've been given power of attorney to use the authority of God. You know most Christians don't even know that. 
They don't even know that. If they did, wouldn't they be using it? You would think so. The biggest reason people don't walk in the, the, the dominion and authority they've been given on the planet as a believer, biggest reason, because they don't even know they got it. But this phrase says you do. The word go, he said, he's a, he was a Greek scholar. And Brother Hagin proved it to other Greek scholars he knew. He said to others, they actually checked it out. He said, I never noticed that before, but that's exactly right. And that's why in the definition, in the basic English definition of the word go, there's also included within that definition the word transfer. Transfer. I'm transferring you the power of authority to use the dominion that I've gotten. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. Also, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. Do you think if you're going to go and teach people the word of God, Satan's going to sit by and just let you go teach everybody about God? No. No, he's not. Is he going to let you just teach your kids? No. No, he's going to come against you in some way, shape, or form. But if you understand your authority, guess what? He loses. Can I get a better amen? I'm going to give you three things to use your authority. Three things. You got to understand that dominion was given to man. In the fall, he gave it up to Satan. Clearly in the temptation, we see that. And even in Colossians, we see that Jesus got it back. By disarming those who once had dominion over us. So how do I walk in my authority as a believer, Pastor? Number one, write down this verse we just looked at. Matthew 28, verse 19. I would include 18. Verse 18 and 19. Number one, what do I got to do? I must know that I have authority. You got to know you got it. And I don't mean in your head. You got to know it in your heart. You got to know that this is, this Greek scholar told Brother Hagin, he said, if you could write up a legal document from the Greek wording to literally hand over a power attorney, you couldn't write up one better than the way this is worded. And most Christians do not understand, I've been given power of attorney over the authority of God to use that authority in this earth. To just go out and get what I want? No. To go out and establish God's work on this earth. And in doing so, even when the enemy tries to come against you, that's why you got that authority. Guess what you can do? Use it. Use it for its intended purpose and put him where? Where he belongs, under your feet. Man, I wished I had time. You know, the Bible says that literally God, according to the book of Hebrews, provided all things to be put under man's feet, yet we don't see all things under his feet yet. Why? They don't know what they got. They don't, because he's talking about believers there. They don't know, because if they did, they'd start putting Satan under their feet. They'd get him under the feet of the church. They wouldn't be a bunch of, you know, broke down, defeated believers. They'd be walking in victory as as obviously even the New Testament disciples learned to do. Could I get a better amen? amen? So he tells us clearly here, number one, to go. Why? Because all authority has been given to me. I had heavens. I got earth back. Revelation 1, 7. I took back the keys. I got them. Now, guess what you have the ability to do? Bind and loose. Bind and loose. You have the ability to bind the works of darkness. You have the ability to loose the works of darkness off of people's lives. To command people to loose those who they have bound. If they obviously aren't just giving, giving, giving way to those demonic powers, but, but especially over your life, you have total ability to be able to deal with these demonic powers. John 14. Last verse for tonight. John 14. Maybe I might get you a little more excited in these few last verses tonight. John 14. 
I know people say, well, you really shouldn't, shouldn't matter if we get excited or not. Are you kidding me? You don't get excited about learning about things that clearly are so significant that can change your life and transform your life in a way that totally, uh, completely completes all that you are as a child of God. You don't get excited about that. Man, you should get excited about that. John 14, you with me? Verse 12, Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me. Does what? Believe. Underline that please. He who believes in me. Watch this, the works that I do, he will what? Do also. So he was here with heaven's authority. He's saying when the time comes, if you'll put your belief in me, your faith in me, you'll be able to do the same thing. Yeah. You know why you'll be able to do the same thing? Because I'm going to give you the authority back. Right. I'm going to give you the power of attorney to use God's authority once again. How did Jesus do what he did? He came down with God's authority. Come on, somebody. The works I do, he'll do also, and greater than these he will do, because I now go what? What do you mean greater? So I'm here solely for who? Who was Jesus here for? The Jewish nation, right? I don't care what anybody says. The greater works is not doing greater miracles. You're not going to do greater miracles than Jesus did. The Bible says that if all of the miracles that Jesus did were composed and put in a book, I don't suppose we would have enough room to hold it all. This is not greater works and miracles. It don't get much better than raising people from the dead, making blind eyes open, lame hands come out all of a sudden that weren't there. No, the greater works is that you're going to go to the Gentile nations. You're going to go to all the rest of the world. You're going to do a bigger scope of a work because I was sent specifically for what? The Jews. So again, he says, if you believe in me, the works I do, you will do also in greater works. Why? Because you believe. Believe in what? The authority you've been given. 13, and whatever you ask, underline the word ask. Notice this. Whatever you ask in my name, notice, underline this please, that I will do. Excuse me? That I will do. But he just said he's going to the Father. Yep. And he told you that if you ask anything in his name. He didn't say ask him. This is not talking about asking him for anything. He did not say if you ask me for something. He said if you ask what? If you ask in my name. Whatever you ask in my name. I will do. That the Father may be what? Glorified in the Son. He knew we would mess it up, so he said it a second time. If you ask anything in my name, I will what? So listen, the word ask here is not the word petition. It's not me asking you for something. The word ask here in the Greek language means to make a demand of. To make a demand of. Are we making a demand of Jesus? No. There's nowhere in those verses he ever said at all that you ask him anything. It's what you're asking in his name that he will do. In John 16, later on in John 16, he says, whatever you ask the Father in my name. That's petition. That's prayer. That's request. That's a different phrase there. That's a whole different term there. Because now you're asking the Father. Right? Yes, no, maybe. Yeah. Jesus said, when I'm gone, you'll ask me nothing. You'll ask the Father. So you're not asking Jesus for anything here. What is he saying? When I'm gone, you make a demand in my name. What did he say? I'll do it. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus say, I'll do it? Who got the authority back? Jesus. It's, listen, it's the same as if Jesus was standing right there with you when you use his name. Yes. 
When you use his name, when you make a demand of the devil to be bound or loosed in a situation, you loose them and let them go. I bind you in Jesus' name. You can't come against my family. I bind you, demons. You can't come in this home anymore. I bind you, Satan. You get off of my finances. Satan, you take you t- those finances you got a hold of. You loose them now and you let them go. Money's not going to come from heaven. The person holding up your blessings is Satan. Not God. He don't pour money out of heaven. Come on, somebody. What do you got to do? You got to tell him to loose what's yours and, and let it go. He don't have a right to hold it back from you. But he'll hold on to it and keep you from it as long as you don't do what? Exercise your authority. So when we ask in the name, what? Demand. When we make a demand of Satan of what we have a right to, and the context of asking in the name is not just using the name of Jesus, it's also doing so in line with the will of God. Because you're not going to ask something in the name of Jesus outside the will of God and see it work. Can I get a better amen? What did he just show you here? He showed you the second key to using your authority. What's the first key? I got to know I got it. What's the second key? You got to use the name of Jesus. You got to use the name of Jesus. And when you do, don't play around with the, the... Listen, folks, it doesn't mean everything that comes against your home or against your family or against your kids or against your life is demonic. doesn't mean that at all. But sometimes it can be. And if you know it is, guess what you got to do? Exercise your authority. Right. But that doesn't mean if I've got an attack on my body of a sickness or disease, it's a demon. But guess who it ultimately came from? The devil. Guess who doesn't have a right to put it on my body? The devil. Guess who I have authority to take over to deal with that in my body? I have the name of Jesus to take authority over that thing in Jesus' name and command it to be loose from my body and get out of my body. You're not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. What gave you the right to do that? Jesus did because he got your authority back. God gave, God given authority. It's his authority. And why does he say, if you demand anything in my name, I'll do it? Because he's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he gave you power of attorney through his name to use it. You got to picture this. So it's the name of Jesus that you have to use to see this authority work. But it won't work if you don't understand. When I speak that name, I'm not just spouting off any quote unquote regular repetition of the name of Jesus. When I speak that name, I know this. It's just like Jesus is standing right here to carry it out. Hallelujah. You listening? And therefore, when I speak that name, it is no different than if Jesus was sitting there dealing with it. It is no different. You listening? If I make a demand of the enemy in mind in the name of Jesus, in his name, to loose or to bind or to take authority, bind him, and to command him to get out of my life, it's the same as if Jesus just spoke to that demon. And that's what you got to see. So that brings me to the third key. Three things to walk in your authority. What's the third one? What did he say there in verse 12? What did I tell you to underline in verse 12? Believes. He who believes in me. What do you mean? So the third thing you got to do is you got to believe what Jesus told you. You got to believe it. You have to believe what Matthew 28, 18 and 19 said. I've got all authority in heaven and earth. I transfer to you now the power of attorney to go use it. You got to believe that. What did Jesus say it's going to take to do the works he did? Believe in me. 
What do you mean believe in him? Believe what he did was already, uh, believe what was needed to be done to accomplish getting authority back was already done. That he fulfilled it. Believe that he told you you have that authority to be able to be used by yourself by using the name of Jesus. If you don't believe in what he told you according to the name of Jesus and the ability to use that authority, it won't work. I said it won't work. How about the seven sons of Sceva? Didn't work for them. It worked for Paul. I said it worked for Paul, but it didn't work for them. Right? Seven sons of Sceva did what? They saw Paul casting demons out. I have a question for you. Was Paul casting demons out? No. He really wasn't. Paul was exercising his what? Power of attorney to use. Jesus said, if you demand anything in my name, who's going to do it? Come on. Jesus said, if you demand anything in my name, who's going to do it? He will. Was Paul really casting the demons out? No, who was there to fulfill what was needed in the sense of his authority being used? Who was there to see that it happened? Jesus was. See, if you get this picture, I'm going to cast demons out. You know what's going to happen? Demons are going to make you realize you're not that powerful of your own self. But you know what? I know this. It ain't me that casts you out. (laughs) You listening? It's not my authority. It's God's authority. See, don't ever say, I have authority. No, I have the authority of God. I've been given the right to use it. I have the power of attorney to use it. Therefore, clearly, does it work? Sure it does. Is there ever a time in the Bible you see God's authority not dealing with demons that not work, that it didn't work? No, it works all the time. Works all the time for those who know how to work it. Let me give you two examples in closing. So the sons of Sceva had a problem because they saw Paul, they thought Paul was doing it, casting out demons. And this is why clearly they didn't understand the power of the authority of the name because they saw Paul casting demons out in Jesus' name. They thought Paul was doing it. And they thought this little, this little name that you use Jesus, using Jesus' name, that was the little magical trick. That was the little thing that you do. If you just say that name, it works. And so lo and behold, they come to a demon-possessed man, and guess what they did? They commanded the demon to leave in the name of Jesus. Remember what they said? Whom Paul preaches. What did that tell you? They knew no idea about the authority in this name. None at all. And in truth, reality is they probably weren't even born again. Right? Until you become born again, do you have power of return to use that authority? Nope. It's when you become born again. Right? What did the demon do? One demon. Seven young strong boys. What did that demon do? Beat them up, man. Stripped them, tore their clothes off, chased them out of the house. Wow, demons are powerful. Not if you're a born-again believer and know who you are. When Jesus showed up, did demons actually say, all right, let's see if we can take Jesus down today? What did they say to Jesus? Did you come here to torment us for the time before the time? You know what they ought to say when you show up? Did you come here to use the name of Jesus to torment us before the time? I'd like some better amens out of this really quiet congregation tonight. I think it's too warm in here. Y'all falling asleep. Now think about that. So obviously it didn't work. Did it work for Paul? You better believe it did. What did that demon say? What did that demon say before it stripped them of their clothes and beat them up and ran them off? Hey man, who are you? Jesus we know. Now, how did they know Jesus? He dealt with us. <laughs> right? Paul, we know. How did they know Paul? Paul dealt with them. Paul knew. Paul dealt with this demon at some point. But who are you? 
What did Satan say to Jesus in the garden? If you really are the son of God, come on, sons of Sceva, who are you? Well, they weren't born again because they didn't know who they were. Right? And so guess what? They didn't walk in the revelation of the very fact that Jesus had given us through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, the power of attorney to use the authority of God. If you picture this as anything to do with authority you have, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. This ain't your authority. It's God's authority. He delegated it to you to be used. What, what Adam had in the garden was not his. It was God's. God gave him dominion. He just had the right to use it. Even to give it away. I said even to give it away. He even had the right to relinquish what was here on the earth and give it away because God gave him that position of authority. You listening? But thank God, Jesus returned it. The power of attorney. What about this account? So Jesus with his disciples with him during the latter part of their life with him has to relinquish ability of authority for them to start doing the very things he did and to be able to accomplish the very works he needs them to do when he's gone. Well, he doesn't do that just through teaching. He does that through training. And so he began to allow them to have opportunity to be used by him in relationship to the authority that they had with with being with Jesus to be able to deal with demons, to be able to actually lay hands on the sick and to begin to see the works of God done. He even sent them out at one time, two by two, in the latter part of his ministry, helping prepare them for what they were going to do when he was gone. Can I get a better amen? How many remember in Luke chapter 10, he sent them out with authority. They came back rejoicing. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's not our authority. We know you gave us the right to use it while you're here, and even the demons respond to it, praise God. So they've been using this authority. But all of a sudden, Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember this? And as he's up there with a handful of the disciples, the other nine that are back all with, with all the group and everything, who comes? A guy comes with a demon-possessed child. They throw my boy in the fire, throw these demons, man. They, they try to take him and throw him in the water and drown him and all this kind of stuff. If you could do anything. He's telling this to the disciples first because Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the demons tried, uh, excuse me, the disciples tried, didn't they? Yes. Now they'd already been casting demons out. Yes. But guess what? They failed this time. Yes. Jesus comes back down off the mountain and all of a sudden the man comes to him. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cast him out. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith. Bring him to me. Bring the boy to me. Now watch this. This is important. See, people just read. They don't even read the rest of the story sometimes or really catch what actually happened here. So then he brings the boy to him. He talks to him a little bit. And then what does Jesus do? Commands the demon to go. Right? What happened when he commanded the demon to go? Does anybody remember? Throws the ball on the ground and the boy starts walling, walling around and foaming at the mouth. Guess what that looks like? Didn't work. What do you think that demon did when the disciples tried to cast it out? Same thing. Did Jesus speak again? Uh-uh. Why? Already dealt with him. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, guess what? The boy goes like lying to the point of death where he's lying there like he's dead. And then all of a sudden he wakes up, his eyes open up, he gets up, and he's free. Why could the, de- why could the, why could the uh, disciples not cast it out? I guarantee you that demon did the exact same thing. That demon did the exact same thing. What were they going by? What they saw, not what Jesus said. You got to believe. 
I said, you got to believe. You got to believe in your power of attorney to use the authority of God and know when I speak, it's not my authority. It's his. And when I speak, guess what? It works. I wish I had more time and I'm out of time. I'm beyond my time. Already I've gone overtime tonight to get all this in one message, but I'm just helping you understand. I've told you stories about me dealing with demons before, and you can argue, holler, scream, and fight with them all you want, and guess what? They ain't going nowhere. Because when the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, darkness, spiritual wars, hosts of wickedness, heavenly places, it's not talking about we go in a ring and we wrestle with these guys until we finally win. Because if that's true, Jesus is our example. Where did Jesus ever wrestle with a demon? He didn't. The word wrestle there, if you look it up, literally means to grab and throw it to the side. It doesn't mean you go into this battle with them until you win. It says you, it's kind of like the old, I, don't, I never watched them, ever did. I just saw clips of like, you know, like, because even Matt got into the wrestling world for a while, you know, where they grab a guy, you know, and throw him out the ring. That's wrestle. That's wrestle. You get into the ring, you grab the guy, and by the authority of God, you throw him out of the ring. But you don't do that with people. You do that with demons. I said, you don't do that with people. You do that with demons. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Throwing a person aside is not going to cause that problem to, be, to go away. You got to deal with what? The demon. You cast the demon out. You bind the demon. You deal with the demon. And that's what you, that's what you address and obviously come overcome by the authority that Jesus has delegated to you through what? Power of attorney. And I'm out of time. Three things to walk in your authority. One, you got to do what? No, you got it. Two, you got to what? Use the name of Jesus. But you got to understand, by using the name of Jesus, I have a power of attorney. I'm releasing his authority. Three, got to believe it. You got to believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, you believe in me and all that I taught you, what you have the ability to do, using my authority. If you believe in me, guess what? The works I did. But if you don't believe in me, if you don't believe what I've told you in the word, what I've just read to you tonight, if you don't really believe that in your heart, you're not going to do those works. Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.